Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Dalton and I chose that song because as I studied our text today, there was, I don't know why really, but that question um, was, was just surfacing uh, over and over and, and, and kind of that is he worthy, that, that call that elicits worship, uh, began to take on an additional flavor of is he worth it? Uh, it, it began asking more than worship from me. It began asking something forward, something in action, something with determination. I hope you're finding hope and help from our brother John as we've been going through his gospel. I hope he's becoming a friend. You probably know many of you, this, he wrote five books of our New Testament. Um, as, as we go through his gospel, I hope that you'll discover him uh, as not just an author from 2,000 years ago, but a brother. Uh, he has so much to say to us. Um, he's difficult. It's, what's difficult for me is every one of these Sunday teachings uh, for me turn into I, I want us to spend a week together. Uh, there's so much going on. There's so many things that Jesus is doing and showing. Today is no exception. As, as we look at a narrative today, I hope you'll identify four principal figures in the story. There are actually a few more than four, but there are four. Uh, there's, of course, Jesus. There is his brothers, his biological, at least half-brothers, They play a role in the story today. There's a big category of people that John just calls the Jews. He actually means leaders of the Jewish community there in Jerusalem. And then there's even a larger group that's a player in the story that John just calls the crowd. Each of these figures, players or groups, play a principal part in the story. We won't be able to unpack all that, but they they represent particular responses to Jesus, and I won't make much of that except just to say you will want to look for that as we proceed. So we're going to look at John chapter 7, the first third of that chapter, verses 1 to 24, so we're backing up a section from last week. John 7, 1 to 24. We hope you can see it. That's good. We've, we've not had just problems with the toilets this morning. We've had problems with the technology. So sorry about that. Uh, and, and we do have a hall monitor that'll give you a thumbs up if the bathroom's vacant. Yeah, so don't hesitate. Don't feel like I can't use the bathroom. That side of the building, for some reason, the water is flowing. This side, not so much. So 
but we'll, we'll help you make sure that the bathroom's empty if you need to go. John 7, 1 to 24, John writes, after these things, now, so a lot's been going on. If we just look at chapter 6, excuse me, Jesus has fed the 5,000. He's crossed the lake on foot. Uh, he has given this incredible teaching that's come to be known as the bread of life teaching of Jesus. We've looked a bit about at that. And then as a result of that teaching, there's been a desertion, desertion from Jesus. There's been many of his own followers who are no longer with him. So John starts here by saying, after these things, this will make sense. Jesus moved about in Galilee, the more obscure part of Israel, the northern part. For he did not want to be in Judea. That's where a lot of the action is. Because the Jews there were what? Seeking to kill him. That's a bit of a sobering reminder. Kind of couched right there in this first verse. As we proceed, we'll want to not forget that. That is, as Jesus is doing ministry, the predominant religious community is actually in motion plotting his death already. Now it was near the time of the Jewish festival of booths. And Jesus' brothers, there they are, they say to him, leave here, Jesus, and go to Judea, so that your disciples may see the works you do. For no one who wants to go public acts in secret. If you're going to do these things, reveal yourself to the world. For none of his brothers believed in him. John wants us to know that. So Jesus answers them, my time has not yet come. For you, any time will do. The world is not able to hate you like it does me, because I testify that its works are evil. So go to the festival, but I cannot, because my time has not yet fully come. So Jesus stayed in Galilee. But after his brothers left to the fest for the festival, Jesus went also, but not publicly, in secret. And the Jews were looking for him at the festival, you better believe they were, and they're asking, where is he? Many in the crowds were whispering about him. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others, no, he's misleading the crowds. But no one would do it openly, speak openly about him for fear of the Jews. Halfway into the festival, the festival's about eight days, so around day four, Jesus came out of secrecy. Boy, did he ever. He went to the temple and began teaching. It just, this is just for me a, 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 a kind of striking. He's reluctant to go. He goes in secret. And now I, I, we find him in the temple teaching it, it, it just feels very, it makes it feel very fluid to me. The Jews are amazed, saying, how did he obtain such knowledge apart from learning from one of our scholars? 
Jesus answered, My teaching is not mine. It comes from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether my teaching comes from God or if I'm speaking on my own. Whoever speaks for himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him, that's a truthful person. There's no wrongdoing. It's just sort of a backhanded argument, but a brilliant one Jesus is making here. I'm sharing my teaching. The content of my teaching is not from me. It's from the one who sent to me. And if you will yield to him, you'll know. Verse 19, has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps it? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answers, you've got a demon, which is really in that time meant you're insane. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus said, I did one miracle, which was the healing of the disabled man back in chapter 5, what he's referencing. And you are all alarmed, yet Moses gave you circumcision, although it didn't really come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, the fathers. Yet you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. So if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so the law of Moses isn't broken, but you break the Sabbath law, why are you angry with me? Because I made a whole man whole on the Sabbath. And then he ends this section by saying, stop judging by appearances and make a good judgment. Back to where we started, is he worthy? Is he worth it? I'm going to try to cover this text with three questions oriented around that question. The first one is this, is Christ worthy of our commitment to his mission? Is Christ worthy of your commitment to his mission? I want us to see Jesus' commitment here in this. Jesus says to his brothers, my time has not yet come. For you, any time is okay. Timing. Timing was mission critical to Jesus. Jesus' brothers wanted him just to go into the city. They saw an opportunity for Jesus to spread his fame. Not sure why they weren't believing in him. They weren't seeking kind of God's kingdom to advance. Maybe if Jesus, Jesus got famous, maybe they could surf on that wake a little bit. I don't know. But even though they don't believe in him, they thought he should go and make himself known there. Grab this opportunity. This was the biggest festival of the fall. The festival of booths is celebrated and commemorated when people lived in booths or tabernacles in the desert. And it was a big deal. It was highly, highly attended in the Jewish community. They would go to Jerusalem. And it was a very festive, uplifting time. So they're like, Jesus, this is your shot. Everybody's going to be there. Go. 
Brothers, for you, any old time will do, he says, but not for me. Wrapped up in my mission is timing. It doesn't work like it does for me, like it does for you. It wasn't time for Jesus to go to Jerusalem, and not in the way they wanted him to go, at least. They wanted him to casually waltz into the city and begin a campaign tour. Get out there and make a name for yourself. But Jesus wasn't interested in a self-promotion tour. That wasn't his mission. He had a mission to accomplish, and it was given to him by his father. His brother's way would have undermined it, the very nature of it. For them, any time would have worked. For Jesus, the timing was important. And it's so interesting, as I already mentioned, Jesus doesn't go, and then he goes in secret. I wonder what, what it was like for him to go then, to go in secret. I wonder what it was like for him to be in Jerusalem knowing that one day he was going to give his life there. Jesus had a mission. His whole life was oriented around this mission. The whole time he's healing and teaching, being with people, loving people, touching people with illnesses, demonic oppression. The whole time he's doing all those things that are so very, very important for us to know there's also something else at play in his mind and heart. He has a mission. And that mission had something to say about the timing of the way he lived his life. Little did Jesus' brothers know, they're saying, show yourself to the world. Little did he know how much Jesus was going to show himself to the world. Little did they know that 2,000 years later, we would be gathering around the way he showed himself to the world. And if he would have said, I'm going to show myself to the world and this is how I'm going to do it, they really would have thought he was crazy. They would have thought, what a waste of this miracle worker. A sinner's cross. That's how he shows himself to the world. An instrument of execution, humility, And as the church, this mission of the cross is now ours. It's our mission. His cross is our cross. It's our cross to preach. It's our cross to teach. It's our cross to share. It's our cross to live. Jesus' mission wasn't about conquest. It was about giving. And God has placed His mission with us in our midst. The, this cross, each church in its time, in its place. We have a mission. It wasn't one that was birthed out of our ima imaginations. We can't hire a marketing firm to try to figure out what our mission is. It's been given. So our question, is He worthy of our following him into his mission. 
Is He worth it to you to take up your cross and follow Him? To be faithful in His way? To identify your life with His as the Apostle Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. Is He worthy of that? 2nd question is Christ worthy of seeking his glory above your own let's look at the middle of the text Jesus went to the temple and began teaching the Jews were amazed saying how did he get such knowledge apart from formal learning under a scholar how is it this man who's never been in one of our rabbinical schools he never learned under someone like Gamaliel, or even Nicodemus. He's not even quoting his earthly father, that Joseph that runs the carpenter shop down at the end of the lane. He's, he's not belonging to any of that. How can he carry on such a learned discourse? This humble man in the temple, and Jesus hears the talk, and he responds, my teaching is not mine. It comes from the one who sent me. So who is Jesus claiming as the source of his teaching? It's not one of their rabbis. That's what they did. They like, they like impressing each other with who they could quote. What book they had read. What podcast they li- They didn't have podcasts, but you get the idea. Who are they aligned with? Who's their guys? Jesus said, my teaching's not my own. And then he follows that statement with an incredibly interesting claim. Listen, if anyone wants to do his will, the one who sent me, he will know whether my teaching is my own or whether it comes from God. Did Did you catch that? Jesus is making a connection between where our will is and what we know. Our will and knowledge. Those who align their will, who who yield their will to God and say, God, not my will, but yours which Jesus says Himself before He goes to the cross. Not not my will, but yours. Jesus says that person will have sufficient knowledge of the source of my teaching. Why? Because they're already acquainted with it. They're already living in the presence of the One who sent me. They're coming to know Him. He says it plainly. Whoever makes the decision to yield their lives, to give up their rights, their ambitions and desires, and align their life under the one who sent to me, these individuals will have what they need to know. They'll know who they're dealing with. I love Psalm 16. We seem like we've read it a lot over the past few years. It, it comes up a lot. It's the confession of one who, 
who is coming to really know God. He says, my body is secure in His presence. My heart is glad. My tongue is rejoicing. I know this God. Jesus is saying, those who align their will under the one who sent me, they will have knowledge. You don't have to study under a rabbi to have this kind of knowledge. But there's a connection between the arrow of your will and having that kind of knowledge. Jesus is surrounded by people who don't have that knowledge. His brothers don't have it. These Jewish leaders who studied under these rabbis, they don't have it. And the crowd who's, who's following and out of fear their lead and kind of following the popular opinion about Jesus, they don't have it. So Jesus is presenting before us two kinds of people. Those who have true knowledge of God because they brought themselves under His rule of their lives. And those who may have all kinds of knowledge but have not done so. And this is the place where the story confronts us, I think. This is it. This is where it's supposed to rest with us. Jesus says, he who seeks his own glory... That's what he gets. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is different. He uses the word truthful. He says in that person there's no unrighteousness. I don't know about you. This confronts me. Can we get honest here for a minute about the state of our will? Do you ever find yourself giving yourself to what you want? About your rights? Your desires? Your ambition? There's no need to pretend about it. We all struggle with it, don't we? We want what we want. But Jesus is clear about people who seek their own glory, who seek their own way. Throughout his teaching, he who seeks to save their lives will what? Lose it. That's what he's talking about here. So is God worth it? Yielding your desires and dreams and ambitions, it doesn't mean you won't have them. It doesn't mean they're all wrong. That's not the question. The question is, is he worth yielding and saying, not my will, Lord, but yours? Is God worth galvanizing your will, your life vision, your broken intentions, your hurts? Is he worth yielding all of that? Hear Jesus again. My teaching is not mine. It comes from God. My will is not directed toward what I want, but what God wants. I do not seek my glory, but His. Is He worth it? He's asking a lot. You better know the answer to that question. Is He worthy of that from us?
we better do business with that question because there's a cross in it for each of us. And it's his cross. Let's look at the final section. It'll bring our third question. Third question is this, is Christ worth changing? Is he worth changing how we see things, how we see situations, how we see people? Listen, verse 19, he's talking to the crowd now. He says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps it. Why do you seek to kill me? You have a demon, the crowd answered, who's trying to kill you. So in that day, having a demon was also, not always, sometimes it was physical sickness, but also often it was mental illness. And this is a way of saying, if this was in our language today, it's a way of saying, you're crazy, Jesus. You are crazy. So Jesus says to them, I did one miracle you're all amazed. So he's referring to chapter 5 where he heals this invalid man who'd been, he'd not been able to walk for 38 years. That, that's what, that's how all this started. If you go back there, we don't have time. If you go back there, we're told by John that at that point, the Jews start plotting his death. He heals this man on the Sabbath. That's what's got them all spun up about. And they're They're influencing people here that would be the crowd. I did one miracle and you're amazed, yet because, so now Jesus is going to use an illustration. So if a baby's born on the Sabbath, there's Saturday, and then he's supposed to be, the loss of Moses said on the eighth day, which would have been the next Saturday, the way they counted days, that's the Sabbath, go ahead and circumcise him. It's okay, even though, their law said you, that's work to do that. There's people who've got to go to work to make that happen. But he says, you already know that's okay. It's a loophole. No problem. He said, so if you can live with that loophole of your own law, then why are you angry for me killing a man who had been invalid for 38 years? You hear what he's saying? You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You're pulling a technicality on me. And you're doing the same thing yourself. You've got your own code breaking that you practice. But worse than that was the fact that they're missing everything. They're fixated. The Jewish leaders, the crowd, maybe his brothers too, they're fixed. Jesus is a Sabbath breaker. Now, he's a good man. No, he's a Sabbath breaker. He doesn't respect their laws. They're fixed on that. All the while, he's brought to health this poor man. His family, I imagine they're celebrating with him. His community. Not to mention the wonder of Jesus. They're missing Jesus in this whole thing. It's silly beyond belief. That they're plotting his execution for breaking their law. And they do the same thing over something less weighty. So Jesus says, stop judging. Make a good judgment. 
Anybody relate to that? I can. We don't have to pretend. There's one thing I've learned over the past few years especially. It's so easy for me to look at the wrong thing. It's so easy for me to get worked up over the wrong thing. It's so easy for me to look through the wrong lens. I need Christ in my life to see things more clearly. Situations, circumstances, people, I can be just like this crowd. I can form a judgment based on appearance. Based on someone else's narrative that they've created. Based on my own feelings. Based on my own narrative. And completely miss what is good and what is true. And this isn't a little thing. Because I can miss God when I do that. And that's often the state of the church. Church isn't a place we come to because we've got it figured out. Church isn't a place we be because we've got all the right answers. Church is a place we come because we don't. Because we're gathering out of our need, not of our superiority. So in our narrative, everybody's got a bone to pick with Jesus. His brothers, who don't even believe, but they're pushing on him. To make a name for himself. The Jewish leaders, they've got more than a bone to pick. They have principles that have been violated. They have their law. And they're willing to do away with Jesus. So that they might get the respect and their proper position in the community. And then we have the crowd. The majority of the populace. They're swayed by opinions, and they're all ganging up on Jesus. And then there's Jesus. He's, he's right in the middle of this. He's not self-promoting. He's not bent on getting the upper hand. He's simply making much of his father. That's what he's doing. My teaching is not my own. Yeah, you're missing it. If you'll just look to him, my teaching will make sense. It'll resonate. You'll be that Psalm 16. My body is resting. My tongue is rejoicing. My heart is glad. He's saying, my father guides my movements. My timing is up to him. I follow his lead. He says, go to Jerusalem. I go. He says, go in secret. I go in secret. He says, now's the time to go to the temple. I go. And he says, I seek his glory. Not mine. Jesus is saying, I am yielded to him. 
and that's where I will stand, and that's how I will die. That's how I will live, yielded to him. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of us imitating those ways, yielded? It's where the story confronts us. It's a troubling question. It's not one that gives me great comfort sometimes, especially if I'm on a path of wanting to get what I want. It interrupts it and asks more of me than I have to give sometimes. Is he worth it? We sang that he is. Dalton, can we sing it again for our last song? Where, where are you? Yeah. Can we do that one again? I think that'll be our response. Let's let the song be our response. I hope he's worth it to you. We can be honest about this. We can say, oh God, help me. I do have faith. And right alongside my faith is mixed in a lot of unbelief too. But I yield. You don't have to have great faith to yield. Just have a little. It'll be enough. It'll get you there. Dalton, if you guys would come on up and, and lead us. And we'll sing this together. <clears throat>